Matthew 10, 39, um, we have been, uh, last, last week, left off on this particular verse, and I'd like to go there, and uh, I'll, I'll tell you why in a moment. It's Jesus now, and the paradoxical teachings of Jesus. He says this, whoever finds his life will lose it, meaning whoever tries to hold on, hoard, keep it for himself, and live for himself will lose it. It'll be like sand going through your fingertips. And whoever loses or lets go of his life for my sake will find it. Whoever loses, lets go, lays it down will, I love how the Message Bible says, you'll, you'll find not only who you are, but more importantly, you'll discover who God really is. Lose your life. Let go of your life. We, um, we ended there last week, and on the, uh, the conclusion of the sermon, I had a buddy who texted me and said, man, that was a, that was a really good sermon, and, and I said, thank you. And he said, um, I need more. I said, what do you mean? He said, I need more. What, t- t- tell me more. How do I really let go? Or, or, or actually, what does it mean to let go? Throughout your sermon, you said, you know, let go of your life. The title of the sermon was, When I Can't Let Go, for those that weren't here. And my friend posed a very good question. I, I need more. Can we talk more about letting go? So, so what I'd like to do, um, I, I took that text very seriously. It's a friend of mine who's, who's just beginning his journey with Jesus. And so I started praying and ran into three stories that I would like to use for the next three weeks in an effort for us to understand and unpack even further what it means to let go. What does it mean to live a life where you are letting go of control, that perceived that, 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 that perception that you are in control, which how many know is not really true at all anyways, um, that we let go of this perceived control that we think we have of our life. And Jesus says, if you'll learn to do this, you'll actually find the life you've been looking for. You will discover God in a way that you've never experienced or seen him before. And so the motivation is built in. It's instilled. It's clear. It's there. I want to learn how to let go in this life. How many know that's easier said than done? So I'm, I'm going to title um, this message, and then uh, we'll look at a, a story this week, a story next week, and then the Sunday after that, we'll look at our third and final story in an effort to understand what it means to let go. So here's, here's my sophisticated title to my sermon. What does let go of my life mean? That's my title. So... Um, I try to think of a really provocative, sexy title, but that's what I came up with. What does let go of my life mean? So when you see this online, you'll kind of know what this sermon is about. What does let go of my life mean? Will you pray with me? Jesus, we thank you so much for uh, your grace. Thank you, Lord, for this beautiful city. Thank you for the rain, which is a sign of blessing. And things are getting greener and greener and greener. And we wouldn't mind a little bit of sunshine. We thank you for that. We thank you that we don't even have to think about football today. We only think about you. But tomorrow, oh God, help us to pray and focus on football and beat Chicago. Chicago's had enough championships and stuff. So help us beat them and help everybody else in our division today to lose, especially the Rams. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen, amen. L.A. doesn't even care about the Rams. Did you know that? 
I'm serious, on Wednesday night when I'm preaching in LA and I'll be like, go Rams! Not a single person cheers. In fact, most of the artists in the room go, who's the Rams? <laughs> so, that's ironic. Um, uh, that's not the point of the message today. We're not focusing on football, we're focusing on the Lord. Have you ever asked somebody a question and you're hoping they give you not the real answer, but in your estimation, the right answer? Like, you know, you, you, you actually know the truth, but you don't want the truth. You want somebody to kind of just work with you and give you the answer you need to make it through another day, to feel better about yourself, to feel encouraged. Um, I had one of these moments, and um, it was in September of 2013. And in a moment, you'll figure out why I specifically remember the date. In fact, after sharing this date on Wednesday night, Chelsea got in the car and she said, that's not accurate. And then I proved to her that my date was accurate because, let's just say, I remember this moment. So I went to my all-loving, trusting wife, and I thought for sure she would give me the answer I'm looking for. And again, I'm not really interested. How many know uh, marriage is not always built on uh, the, the real answer? Marriage oftentimes is built on the right answer. Oh, babe, that dress makes you look so, so skinny. Even God understands that sometimes that's necessary, okay? So, so I went to Chelsea. Obviously, the roles are reversed here. And I said, babe... Do you think, now at this point I was really enjoying a lot of Swedish fish and a lot of Sour Patch Kids and an occasional evening also doubling down with some added ice cream. And I said, whoa. <laughs> and I said to Chelsea, I said, am I, have I put on weight? Now first of all, there is a time limit that you have to answer within. Now gentlemen, you know what I'm talking about. Your wife asks you a question like that. You only ask, you pause too long. That's an answer in and of itself. You know what I'm talking about? You already gave an answer. And whatever you say after those like 15, 18 seconds, it doesn't even matter anymore. Because it's clearly you're trying to avoid the truth and give the right answer. I said, babe, do you think, this is September 2013. I said, babe, do you think I'm putting on weight? And she paused, and I was like, oh, Man, she paused and she said, well, well, yeah, she said, well, um, and I quote, and I quote, you're getting a little thick around the midsection. <laughs> First of all, I don't think I needed that many specifics. And then she, I, you cannot make this up, September 2013, mid-September, she on a Tuesday, she came over and she, she like grabbed my midsection. I'm like, Can't touch me. I, I know where the midsection is. You don't have to illustrate it. Draw like a circle right here. I'm like, I, I, I get it. Now, now, we're talking about letting go. And I'm clearly still working on letting go of mid-September 2013. You, you are a little thick in the mid-section. So times have changed, and I, ladies and gentlemen, have been hungry since September 2013. <laughs> uh, it's amazing how we'll be like, man, just, just, 
just, just let it go. But it's, it's easier said than done. It reminds me, 11 years old, I'm on a rope swing outside, like suburban, outside Portland, Oregon. And we're at a friend's house, and they had kind of a, kind of a ranch, and, and they said the rope swing went over the little pond or, or, or the, the river area. It was pretty deep. And so they said, now, now Judah, uh, when you go on the rope swing and you get out there, you, now you only got one. You got to let go. You got to let go. You got, if you don't let go, you're going to swing on back, and you're going to land in the blackberry bushes. And you don't want to land in the blackberry bushes, so when you get out there, you got to let go. Right? Simple instructions. Pretty basic. Like, if you don't let go, you will get hurt. How many know it should be obvious? Just let go. No matter what you feel in the moment, let go so you don't end up in the blackberry bushes. But I'm 11 years old, and I swung out there on the, on the rope swing, and everyone's screaming, let go, let go, let go. But everything inside of me instinctively said, I don't know, man. This doesn't feel right. You're not, you're not meant to fly. You're not Peter Pan. This is ridiculous. What are you doing? Blackberry bushes can't be that bad. Swung back, bam, into the blackberry Why do I let go over the blackberry bushes? You know, just swing back. I'm in the blackberry bushes, they come down, rescue me, and I sit in an Epsom salt bath like for three hours, my little 11-year-old self, and I have never been great with pain. Don't act so surprised. And, but it's amazing how we will tell each other, man, just let it go. As if it's like we just, 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 just let it go. Man, you just, hey, 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 just, you need to let it go. No, you need to let it go. You weren't there September 2013 on a Tuesday when my wife said I was, Thick around the midsection, right? It's, it's, it's amazing how it's our nature. It's natural when things get difficult or challenging or we question ourselves or we're feeling insecure or we're feeling fearful or anxious or worried or upset or frightened. What, what, what do we do? We don't, we don't let go. We hold on tighter. Hold on tighter and tighter and tighter. That's our, that's our nature. That's normal. Yesterday, a friend of ours had this beautiful baby girl, and, and she said, have you held our, our baby? I said, no, I want to hold her so bad. She said, so, and, and, and the baby girl was just clinging on to mom's shirt. She's like, oh, she'll be fine. And I'm like, I, I don't know if she wants to come to Uncle Judah here. I don't think this is a good idea. But I, I, I love babies. So I'm like, I'm, I'm a holder. And I went like this. And the whole time, I mean, this baby is just barely born, right? And this baby is holding on to mom like, don't, don't give me to him. He doesn't, he doesn't, he doesn't, he doesn't seem right. There's nothing, there's something wrong about it. And, and she's just holding on. And so now I'm holding the baby kind of awkward and the baby's still trying to reach out to mom. And now the baby is instantly crying. And then I love parents. I, I hand the baby back. She's like, uh, she normally isn't like that. You know, like, <laughs> thank you. That, that's a, that's encouraging. But isn't it crazy? Just a little newborn baby already instinctively holds on. We got to own that a little bit. We got to kind of realize that it is within our nature to be holder honors. That's an official term. <laughs> we want to hold on, especially when the rope gets up out over the water, especially when someone says something we don't want to hear, especially when we get hurt, especially when we feel unsafe. Especially when we feel out of control, we want to take more control. Jesus says the more you do that, the less life you'll experience. The less life you'll find. Of course, we know, according to John 10.10, 10, that God has designed us for the abundant life. Life and life more 
abundantly. But oftentimes we suffocate the abundant life with trying to control every season and every element. How? How? What does it mean to truly let go? What does it mean? I want to take us to the first story that we'll look at this week. And like I said, the next couple of weeks, we'll look at a couple of other stories. And it's found in John chapter 5. And let's read these 15 verses together to kind of frame for us this extraordinary story. It says this, John chapter 5. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool in Aramaic called Bethesda, which means house of mercy which has five roofed colonnades. In these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man was there who had been invalid for 38 years. 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he'd already been in that condition a long time, he said this. And this is how these three stories came to me. You'll, you'll find next week there will be a, a, a very provocative question Jesus will ask in that story. And the week after that we'll find another interesting and provocative question Jesus asks. And this week we have an extraordinary and interesting and kind of awkward question. Jesus says to the man who has been paralyzed for 38 years, do you want to be healed? Do you want to be healed? Now, how many know Jesus is not being sarcastic? He's not trying to be insulting. He's not trying to be belittling. Jesus only asks honest questions filled with compassion, empathy, care, and love, which is who he is. Do you want to be healed? And the man says, sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. And while I'm going, another steps down before me. It's interesting. Jesus never even acknowledges that statement. Do you notice that? He never even says anything. He doesn't say, man, that's difficult. Really, wow. He says, why don't you get up now and walk? There's so much in 8 and 9. These two verses are just mysterious to me. And, 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 and so he did. Like, what was that connection like? like they were having a conversation. Jesus kind of just ends the conversation, overlooks the excuse, and says, you can get up now. And the guy was like, okay. Gets up, took up his bed, walked. Now, that day was the Sabbath. That's important because the, the Jews said to the man who had been healed, it's the Sabbath. Like, I know you can't get unparalyzed on the Sabbath. <laughs> That's what they're saying. It's against the law. It's not lawful for you to be healed like this. Man, you can't, you can't, can't get miraculously healed on a holy day. <laughs> Anyways... But he answered them, and he said, well, the man who, I love this, this is his explanation. The man who healed me said, get up. And that's all he said, so I did. <laughs> they asked him, who, I love this, who is the man who said to you, take up your bed and walk? Well, no. He doesn't even know. He's just like, he said it. I felt it. We did it. I was like, peace. I don't really need to get his name, man. I got unparalyzed. Now the man who'd been healed didn't know who it was for Jesus had withdrawn and there was a crowd in the place. I didn't, even, I didn't even catch his name. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said, see you are well. Sin no more that nothing, nothing worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jews it was Jesus who had healed him. It was Jesus who had healed him. In an effort to understand what it means to let go of your life. What does it mean to let go 
of my life. I, I want to give us uh, a few observations from this passage that I think are um, extraordinary and yet I think very practical and applicable to our everyday life. And let's start uh, with none other than the interesting, challenging, difficult, awkward question of Jesus. Jesus approaches a man who has been paralyzed since before he was born. Jesus. This man was paralyzed 38 years. Jesus is approximately 33 years old. So first of all, do I want to be healed? Young man, I have been here since before you were born. Who are you talking to? Jesus says, do you want to be healed? Why would Jesus ask a man who has not been able to use some of his limbs and, and joints and, 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 and ligaments. Why, why would he say, do you want to be healed? Now remember, Jesus is God, and the scripture says he remembers that we're dust. He is acquainted with our weaknesses and our shortcomings. He knows our condition. He says, do you want to be made well? When it comes to letting go, I think the verse observation I'd like to make Jesus is asking this because he's asking the man, do you want to let go of the emotional connection you have made with your plight and your pain? Do you want to let that go? Because Jesus understands sometimes we don't want to. Sometimes we don't want to. Now, now the first three observations I'm going to make are before Jesus reveals himself. This is pre-Jesus now. So if you're here today and you say, Judah, I don't know Jesus. I'm not interested in all this Jesus stuff. Can I just present to you three observations, three things you should let go of whether you know who Jesus is or not. In other words, God is saying, I made the planets and the universe in such a way that I'm going to tell you what's not going to help you in this life. That is an emotional, an unusual emotional connection to your pain that causes you to start to identify with it. And now your plight and your pain is your identification. It will do you no good. I'll say it this way. Number one, let go of the drama. Let go of the drama. Now, we all got drama. Jesus is not minimizing the drama. He's speaking to his emotional connection to his paralysis. God hates the paralysis. God didn't make man and woman to be paralyzed, to be in pain, the, 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 the results of free will and sin and what's happened to the planet, what's happened to our bodies. That's not God's design. That's not the point. Jesus is not trying to belittle the man's pain or make him feel small or make him feel like it's his problem or it's his fault. How I many know we can't make the statement that, you know, this man has to have enough faith and then Jesus will heal him. Jesus heals people with zero faith. So the, the, the message here is not, you know, if you want to be healed, then you can, but you haven't been healed because you don't want it enough. No, that, that, that's, that's, that's not consistent with other healings that Jesus does. It's that, no, no, that's not it. He's saying, do you, are you willing to let go of because this has become your identity? He said, Judah, come on, nobody, nobody holds on to drama that much. Have you noticed there are some people who don't even know how to have a conversation without inserting drama? It goes something like this. So, have you, did, did you hear? Like, any, any conversation like that, am I the only one that wants to be like, you know what, I didn't, and I don't want to, and I don't think I'm supposed to, but do you want to talk about the Hawks? 
Did you see Sports Center Top 10 this morning? I did. I just want to let you know that it was 6 a.m. Then I prayed. But I'm telling you, <laughs> some people, it's drama has become a way of life. And we talk, everybody says, yeah, I want to I live the let go life. And yet you continue to insert drama everywhere you go. You think drama, you speak drama. When somebody tells you something perfectly normal, you hear drama. How dare your neighbor bring over cookies? Do they expect you to bring over cookies to them? Were the cookies good? Were they gluten-free? I bet they know you're gluten-free, and they brought over cookies with wheat in them. They want you to get thick in the midsection. I mean, your neighbors just brought cookies over, and now it's a soap opera. And the question Jesus is saying, do you want to, I love God because like, if you want this, you want to stay here. That is your decision. That is your decision. Is this what you want? Do you want to stay here or do you want to let go of, I think the drama is also, well, it, it's just the way it is. Really, it's just, that's just the way it is. It's, it is what it is. It's just the way it is. Well, I'm not, I'm not trying to be dramatic. I'm just saying it's, it's the way it is. And we use it's the way it is to, to, to qualify and justify why we are so dramatic. And ladies and gentlemen, if you want to talk about being dramatic, you are looking at the president of the dramatic club. <laughs> if you haven't noticed, I know what it's like to just want to. Have you ever been in a fight with your spouse? I'm like, Judah, you don't get in fights. No, this was years ago, like 2013, September. You get it. But where I'll literally be in an argument with Chelsea. I'll be, well, I just don't, what I'm trying to say is, then I'm like, I don't really know what I'm trying to say or why we're even in a fight. I think I just wanted to get dramatic and emotional. Now, for some of you dramatic people, you can't relate to that. But for us emotional, dramatic people, sometimes we just want to get emotional and dramatic. That's why I turn on an emotional movie and I'm just like weeping because I just need to just connect dramatically with something. Yeah, it's weird, I know, okay? So I'm like, get help. I've got help, a lot of help, okay? But we've got to learn to, to let go of that emotional connection to our pain. It doesn't have to define you, you know? You know, there's no rule that says you have to hold on to what he said for the rest of your life. You know, there's no rule that says you gotta turn every situation and scenario into somebody using you or somebody hurting you. You know, there's no rule that says when somebody wants to give you something that you have to immediately suspect what they want in return. There's no rule that says you have to live that way. Now I know that might be how it seems everybody lives around you, but Jesus just gave this man hope. He said, do you want to be healed? I suspect there's been days where you have identified so much with the paralysis and the pain and being overlooked and being unloved that it has become your calling card. It's, it's how you talk. Oh, that's right. That's exactly how he talks in the next verse. So number one, I think the first observation, we got to learn to just let go of the drama. And that really does, in so many ways, start with how we talk, how we talk. It's amazing to get around people who just have a trust in Jesus, 
that can take something so supercharged with drama and layers and manipulation and agitation, and they can turn into be like, but man, God is good. What the enemy means for evil, he's going to turn it for good. And you're like, you sound like Joel Osteen so much. Why are you so positive? And then you get in your car and you're like, I need a little more of that in my life. Like a dramatic diffuser. You ever met with those people? They're just like, oh man, God's going to work it out. I love you. Hey, let's pray. And they're not, any, they're not any less caring. There's just a conviction inside of them that says, you know, how many know there's going to be days where it is like drama that is undeniable? You lose a loved one. Your baby's not feeling well. I mean, there are days where it's like, reserve that emotional energy for something you're going to need it for. In the meantime, let's all just collectively calm down and let go of some of these things that don't have to be so dramatic. And then he says, he says, do you, do you want to be healed? And, and do you notice the response? The response of the paralyzed man for 38 years will tell us his worldview. This is his worldview. And by the way, your worldview influences so much of how you interact, live, walk, talk, spend your money, and where you go. He says, he says well, sir, watch this. I don't have anybody. I don't have any friends. You keep telling yourself that, you'll start to believe it. Nobody cares for me. This is pre-Jesus now. This is this, Jesus has not even told him he's Savior, Healer, Messiah. He's just, he's, this, is just, this is just living in the universe 101. He says, I don't have anybody to put me in the pool. And, and when the water stirred, watch this, I'm going down, but somebody faster, somebody quicker steps in and gets the healing. For other translations infer that, that when the water was miraculously stirred, whoever got there first, whoever got there first, whoever got there first, whoever was the fastest, they got the healing. This man actually believes that life is about the fastest and the smartest. That your success will be determined on whether or not you can compete with the fastest and the smartest and the most connected and the most brilliant and the most affluent and the most... Does that sound familiar? As long if I, if I can be the fastest, if I can be the smartest. Now we tell ourselves LeBron doesn't count. Right? There's a few like LeBron, okay, but, but I can compete with everybody else. And my, my, there's a few outliers, there's a few, you know, uh, 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 freakishly gifted people, but for the rest of us, we're competing, we're trying to be the fastest, and the smartest, and the brightest, and the best, and the best, not what you know, it's who you know, so I got to get connected, and I got to network, and I got to make this happen, and we wonder why so, have you ever heard the word anxious used more in your lifetime? In your lifetime. You know how many people have reached out to me, even friends of mine, saying, Judah, I am fighting full-fledged anxiety. I can't shake it because there is a worldview that is proliferating. It is completely based on self-will. It is completely based on self-sufficiency. It is completely based on I'm going to be the captain of my own ship and the captain of my own destiny. And we are led to believe that life is given to the fastest and the smartest and the brightest and the most connected. And this man who lived in antiquity already believes I wouldn't be this way 
But see, I don't have connections. I wouldn't be this way, but I didn't get informed, ex exposed, educated. I, I wouldn't be this way, but I don't have the money. I wouldn't be this way, but I, 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 I'm not as gifted. I'm not as, as, and what he doesn't understand is he's in a place called Bethesda, which means house of mercy, and mercy has nothing to do with the fastest and the smartest, for mercy is not getting what you deserve. God works in terms of grace and mercy. Grace and mercy and truth. Grace and mercy and truth. God operates on a whole different spectrum and level, and it is beyond that which we can comprehend and understand. So we've got to let go of a worldview that is, by definition, broken, which keeps telling you every day, you gotta get faster and you gotta get smarter. There's nothing wrong with you getting faster, nothing wrong with you getting smarter. Life is not defined by the fastest and the smartest. Look at Ecclesiastes 9-11. This is in the Bible. This is in the Bible. Again, I saw under the sun, the race is not to the swift. What? Nor the battle to the strong. Huh? Nor bread to the wise. We got to digest this, United States of America. We got to digest this. Nor riches to the intelligent. Huh? Nor favor to those with knowledge. Watch this. Time and chance happen to them all. Where's sovereignty? Well, sovereignty's first, but God made room for free will. And the Bible says that the earth is subject to futility because of our choices. And now there are things that have been set in motion that God allows in his sovereignty. And one of those things is time and chance happen. There's a, gr a grace element to even the, the free will part of the world. It, 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 no, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, it's not true. Success is not exclusive to the fastest and the brightest and the smartest, but we keep telling ourselves that and we stay wound up and in some cases inactive because what do I have? When, when, when did life become being about the best? When did it stop being about being the best you who God has designed you to be? But not, not everybody's got to be LeBron. There is only one. And he's a Laker. You know, it, but not everybody's got to be. What a life. Well, I'm not, I'm not first, so I must be last. No, you, nobody's like you. Nobody does what you do and thinks like you think. You are so uniquely gifted, graced, and valued by God. No, we got to let go of this fastest, smartest worldview. This is the third and final observation. This is, this is pre-Jesus, if you will. Do you know what I mean? This is pre like, hey, I'm the savior. I kind of define all of humanity in the universe. I'm the maker, creator. He, 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 he says, uh, get up. And the guy gets up. I love this because wh where's the formula in this healing? Get up. All right. <laughs> now that's grace. He didn't say, He's, he, he didn't say, I'm healed, and now say it with me 10 times, I'm healed, 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 I'm healed. He just said, get up, and the guy was like, cool, wow, that worked. And then Jesus slips away. What is going on now? So then the guy who's healed just walking around like he didn't even know the law, right? He didn't, he's just like, hey, and the Jews who know the law are like, whoa, whoa, you're the paralyzed guy, not today. 
And he's like, hey, man, all I know is some guy, he seemed real special. He said, get up, and I did. And they're like, oh, psh, what's his name? He's like, I don't know. You think I asked his name? My legs work, player. I'm walking these streets today, right? Last but not least in the pre-Jesus. Whether you believe in Jesus or not, I would like to suggest you need to let go of drama. You need to let go of a faulty worldview, which is the fastest and the smartest. And the last thing we need to let go of is that life is about knowing it all and figuring it all out. This man got his legs back, and he doesn't even know how or why. Jesus is not saying, now I healed you so I, you, you can understand that I am the healer of all, restorer of all, and forgiver of all sins. Jesus slips in the crowd, says nothing, doesn't even say his name. As if to tell us, even if you don't believe in Jesus, you've got to let go of this concept that it ain't real unless I can understand it. What? It, that is inconsistent with the universe that houses you currently. The majority of your existence, I don't mean to insult you, you do not understand. You just don't. Right? Like, I don't even understand how my heart works, but I use it. The other day, Chelsea said, you just got, you've had bad breath lately. I'm like, I'm, well, I'm trying to, and it's like my least favorite thing in the world, bad breath. And so she's like, it must be one of your, a tooth or something that's, that's decaying or something. We got to get this checked out. And I'm chewing gum, and I'm, I'm, I can't even control my own breath. And we're talking about like, well, you know, if, it, if you can't put it on a spreadsheet and explain it to me, it's not real. Says who? Who came up with this concept that I got to understand it all for it to be legitimate or real? No, the universe has spoken for itself the way God designed the, the solar systems. We still figure it out bones in the body, people. Do you know there are new discoveries? People are like, well, it look, looks like there might be a portion of the body we have just recently discovered. I mean, we, we don't, what? And I love this guy. He's like, I got no idea who it was. I don't know how it happened, but I'm standing. <laughs> so what happened to the childlike faith? What happened? No, I, I think we need to... What does it mean to let go of my life? I do think it means to let go of the drama. I do think it means to let go of the fastest and the smartest. I do think it means to let go of knowing it all and figuring it all out. And now the best part of the story. Now the best part of the story where Jesus reveals himself and it changes everything. It changes everything. I, I think there's some, you know, practical human validity to the first three points. Like, hey, even if you don't believe in God, you should, you know, do your best to let go of these things. But, but then, then here comes the power to truly let go. The Bible says that Jesus found him in the temple, right? So the guy's talking to the Jews, and uh, the, 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 probably the well-standing, upstanding citizens among the Jews who know the law, and, and he says, I don't even know his name. And it says, afterwards, Jesus found him in the temple. Now, that's interesting. Why is that man in the temple? I'll tell you why I believe he's in the temple. The temple is the holiest place on earth. And what has just happened to him, he believes, had to happen from a holy man. So he went to the, the holy place he knows. And by the way, no one was greater than the temple. Nothing was greater than the temple. The temple was the zenith of the human experience. It was everything. So he went in the temple. And you know what he's doing in the temple? He's looking for the guy. He's looking for the guy. 
He's looking for God. He doesn't know it yet. He's looking. And notice, he didn't find him. Who found who? Jesus found him. Now let's get into some good theology. Now this other part's been good theology too, but, but let's, some gooder theology. We need to let go of finding God. We need to, if God is God, then he finds me. He finds me. I, I can't, are you kidding me? I can't find my way to Duval without GPS. <laughs> Most people can't. But I can't, I, I, can't, I, I can't find God. But God is the initiator. God is sovereign. God chooses. God reveals himself. One of the reasons you and I are so wound up, those of us that are Jesus followers and believers, is because we keep telling ourselves it's our job to find God. No, no, it's, it's it, no, he, he there, where, where, where's the scripture that gives credence to that? Draw near to God and he'll draw near to me. <clears throat> Do you know what that means? First of all, it assumes that you understand that uh, God the gospel is God drew near. For God so loved the world that he drew near with his only begotten son, that whoever, and while we were yet sinners, God drew near. So the big idea of the scripture is that God drew near. Now that he's near, and you recognize that he's near, and you leaned into his near, he gets even nearer. That's what it means. Don't, don't, get, don't get it messed up. Don't, don't, get, don't get it twisted. It's, it doesn't mean like, well, God's standing off in the distance going, whenever you're ready. You move first. No, he, he moved heaven and earth for you. He took his feet up off the earth, which is his ottoman, put on skin and bone, and moved into the neighborhood. He drew near, and, he, and, and if you know God, it's because God let you know him. God revealed himself to you. What does that do? Well, that kind of gospel, that kind of theology endears you to a God who took the initiative and he drew near to you. Oh, God is not far, church. God is not playing a sadistic game of hide and seek with us. He has revealed himself. For when we see Jesus, we see the fullness of the Godhead in bodily form. Oh, we got to let go of this poor theology that anchors ourselves to self-effort and self-focus. Oh, God, I can't find you. You found me. And when you feel like you're overwhelmed and you feel like you're far from God and your emotions and your uh, disposition tells you God's not near, God's far, God's not listening, you got to remind yourself that you serve a God who found you. You didn't find him. And he'll do it again and again and again and again. When it seems like 25 years into your journey with Jesus, you can't find him and you need him so desperately. You've got to remind yourself and remind God, I'm not going to worry, I'm not going to fear, I'm not going to get anxious, I'm not going to get self-righteous. It is not my job to find you, nor can I find you. For you, when you want to be found, you will be found, and when you want to meet with me, you will meet with me. So I trust you, God. I'm going to be in the temple. You go ahead and find me. I'm going to just be available. You find me because I can't find you because you're God. You're God. There's no formula that helps me find you. You're God. You reveal yourself to me. That never changes in your relationship with God. Oh, God, 
reveal yourself to me. For if you don't, I will not see you. I will not see you. I will not understand you. And, 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 and lastly, boy, we misunderstand this one. He, Jesus finds him and he says, he says, he says, you're, you're, you're not paralyzed anymore. And the guy's like, yeah. Man, I didn't catch your name, man. I didn't catch your name. He said, listen, he doesn't tell him his name. He says, I want you to sin no more. Now, I've heard those words before. Sin no more was the exact statement Jesus said to the woman caught in adultery, remember? Only got a sheet to cover her in the middle of the streets. And Jesus says, sin no more. What a dramatic statement to make. God, give her some time. Sin no more. And watch what he says to the formerly paralyzed man, that nothing worse may happen to you. Oh, God, help us with our teaching. We have taken this verse to mean that if this man goes and sin even one more time, something worse is going to plague his body to show him that he is judged for his sin. That's not what Jesus is saying. He's saying, listen, I'm glad I got to heal your body. It is my privilege. It's my will. It's my plan to heal your body. But there is something far worse than 38 years of paralysis. It is eternal separation from God. And if you try to figure out your own way and you try to be your own self-sufficient savior, you're not going to be able to anymore because to spend eternity with me requires that all of your sins are forgiven and, all of, and you live a perfect life, but you won't be able to. So when Jesus says sin no more, it is a declaration of revealing himself. Sin no more. That's impossible. I know. I need a savior. That's me. And I know it was lonely by that pool for 38 years. But oh, imagine separation from a loving God for eternity. Sin no more. And my last observation is we've got to let go of fighting sin. There are people in here who love Jesus, and your orientation with your relationship with God is I've got to find God and fight sin. Find God, fight sin. Find God, fight sin. Find God, fight sin. Search, seek, find, fight, try, harder, more, do. And you are wondering why you are more sin-conscious and self-conscious than God-conscious and Jesus-conscious. Your life is consumed with fighting sin. Show me the verse in the Bible that teaches where to fight sin. Show it to me. Show me in the teachings of Paul, as he writes more than half of it, where he says, now church, fight harder against your sin. Focus on it. Fight it. it says resist the devil. Devil's not sin. You know what it does say to fight? Fight the good, not the bad fight. I think one of the bad fights is fighting sin. And more you keep telling yourself, I got to stop being angry. I got to stop being angry. I got to fight anger. I'm going to do better. I'm not angry. You get angry about being angry. And it doubles down. It doubles down on your sin. My life is not to be defined by my shortcomings and my sin, for the Bible says as far as the east is from the west, so God has removed me from my sin. He has forgotten my sin. I'm not defined by my sin, I'm defined by Jesus. I've got to stop fighting my sin. We've got to fight the good fight of, the good fight of faith. So the fight is to trust Jesus and not myself to trust Jesus to forgive me of my sins, to trust Jesus that I'm forgiven, to trust Jesus that I'm righteous, to trust Jesus that I'm accepted, to trust Jesus that I'm loved, to trust Jesus that I'm blessed and I'm favored. Who do I trust, me or Jesus? Jesus. So my fight is not against sin. My fight is to focus on Jesus. That's why John says this is the victory that has overcome the world, not our grit, 
not our ability to resist our weaknesses and our shortcomings and proclivities. This is the victory that overcome the world, even our faith. Which is another way of saying, this is a victory that overcomes the world. Jesus, how you overcome your sin is by looking to Jesus, is by trusting Jesus. And may we never move away from this message. Paul says you move away from that, all kinds of calamitous things. Don't you move, it's Jesus, it's Jesus, it's Jesus. We are not supposed to gather as church home and leave thinking about our sin. I saw people say, Judy, you need to talk more about sin. I would if that's where the power was. I would if that's where the power was. I would. I, 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 people say, you need to preach on holiness more. I'm preaching on holiness right now. It's called, look unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. This is, this is, this is the only life. He says, you got to stop sinning, man. Seems pretty dramatic, Jesus. Oh, he's passionate about bringing man to the end of himself until we finally say, I can't. I tried, I couldn't, I wouldn't. And Jesus says, let me, let me, let go of finding God and fighting sin. And all of a sudden, ooh, his yoke is easy, his burden is light, the steps of a righteous man are ordered of the Lord. We go from glory to glory and strength to strength. Each and every season is a new season to see his goodness and sufficiency unfold. Oh, church, let us live this life of letting go. I just got, I, honestly, I mean this, I got so much faith for your week this week. I, I got so much faith for your Sunday evening and your Monday morning that together, by the grace of God, we can learn to let go. Jesus, thank you so much for the moments that we share as a community. Thank you for what you're doing in our church. You're building your church. You're building us together relationally, spiritually, emotionally. We love you, Jesus. We love you, Jesus. We love you, Jesus. If you're here and you say, Jude, I'd like to become a follower of Jesus. I'd like to follow Jesus. I said it a moment ago, but God so loves you so loves the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever would believe, receive, accept him, let their life go and accept Jesus. Will not perish, but have everlasting life. If you'd like that forgiveness that only Jesus offers, the life with him forever and ever, friend, it doesn't take a perfect life. It doesn't take all your effort, blood, sweat, and tears. All that Jesus asks is that you would receive him like a gift, for he is the ultimate gift. Just accept, receive, believe. I can't do this, Lord, but I know you have and you will, and I accept you and believe in you and begin this journey of following you for the rest of my life into eternity. If you want that and you know he's real, on the count of three, I'm going to ask you to lift up your hand, put it right back down. I ask people to respond externally to what's happening internally because I think it makes it more real to you, that's all. So I'm gonna ask you to slip up your hand, put it right back down. One, God loves you. Two, you'll never be the same. Three, if that's you, would you slip up your hand all over the auditorium and say, man, that's me, that's me, thank you, thank you, thank you. 
Thank you. Anybody else, you slip up your hand, put it right back down. I'm going to include you in this prayer. Oh, God, thank you for what you're doing at 9.28 a.m. on Rose Hill in Kirkland, Washington. You are a miracle worker. You save, you heal, you deliver, you make right. Our eyes are on you. You are magnificent. You are wonderful. You are beautiful, and you are indescribable. And thank you that forgiveness flows freely in church home. We thank you for that, Lord. Bless your people today. Take statements and phrases and verses and moments and work them into our lives that we, day by day, learn to live a life of letting go. We thank you for that, Lord, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. If you're physically able, willing, would you stand with us? And let's join the band and music, and let's sing out our praise to God. Come on, church.